As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. the athletic football show i'm robert mays great show for you guys today nate tice is going to be joining us a little bit later to dig into the divisional round what a slate of games i cannot wait to talk about all of that before we chat about all of that though i am pleased to welcome the athletics own lindsey jones to the program lindsey how are you i am great robert i am right along with you that this is such an exciting week of games this is always my favorite week of football, like probably my favorite football weekend of the entire. Oh, calendar. absolutely! But this weekend, especially, I mean, there's not a single like clunker of a game. It's the best quarterbacks, the best young quarterbacks, the best old quarterbacks. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm really jacked up for uh, all four games this weekend. The way the games worked out, I mean, I think that if the Seahawks had won, we had gotten Brady Rogers. That would have been really fun. And I thought yeah. that might have happened. So that was kind of on the horizon for me. But Rams-Packers, I mean, we'll get into that with Nate, is a fantastic football game. I mean, I'm going to that game. I cannot wait to watch what it's going to be like live. But all of them are awesome. And I think always divisional round week, divisional weekend is my favorite because it's the best and there's four games. But wildcard weekend now has six games. So I was wondering, oh, am I going to prefer the six games? Like, is it going to maybe sneak It was a in? lot. <laughs> But I still think the quality of these games and the fact that they're so good, I still think the divisional weekend is going to be my favorite one when it's all said and done. Yeah, because you know we we didn't have Patrick Mahomes and we didn't have Aaron Rodgers last weekend. So this weekend's games are infinitely more watchable because we have the two best quarterbacks added it's into so this field. It's so funny that I like forgot about the Chiefs. Like when I was going through right? all these games, I was going through all these games and I was like, oh man. You know, Rams Packers is so great, and I can't wait for Josh Allen and Lamar. And then I was, you know, Brady Breeze and round three. What are the Bucks gonna do? And then I got to the end, I was like, oh shit, the Chiefs are playing this weekend. Well, it's it's been a really long time since we saw them play a meaningful game. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's Which so is also funny. going to be interesting. I mean, Mahomes didn't play in week seventeen, also had a bye week, so 
that's a lot of time off, right? But uh, but I'm I think this that is a really good matchup. I think there's a lot of like strength versus strength, a lot of really interesting storylines in that game too. And I don't I don't want to look too far ahead too quickly. I did this last year. I'm totally guilty of it to to really getting excited about a potential AFC matchup, AFC championship game matchup. You know, I, I I'm sure I wasn't alone in just thinking last year like Chiefs Ravens. This is going to be amazing. And obviously there was a massive upset in the divisional round. So I don't want to make that mistake again. I am, you know, there's a little bit of me that's like, ah, Chiefs Bills. Like I feel the yeah. same way, but sign I sign me up. But I think I think la- that these games are great. Last weekend it was such a reminder to me of how one off these games are. For in a lot of different ways. Obviously with the Browns, you have all these wonky bounces of the ball and you know that can happen in the playoffs. But even more granular than that, when I was watching Ravens Titans and some of the things that the Titans were throwing at the Ravens defensively, it reminded me in some ways of how when the Patriots would think about the playoffs, where it's these one week tournaments just isolated and you can throw anything you can at a team one week and you always have a chance. Titans defense was horrendous all season and they actually played really well against a Ravens offense that was rolling. So that's why I feel like sometimes I feel I'm the same way. It's like, oh man, let's think about where this is going to get instead of like, okay, let's take this a step back. Like what can the Browns actually do? So I've really learned my lesson there because I've done that in the past as well. So we'll get into all of that. You and I though, are going to talk about some of the news that's happened this week. You know, obviously we recorded with Peter yesterday, but there was some stuff that came out right after we were done and a few other things that have come down the pipe since we recorded that show. So I want to start in a place that I don't really want to start, but we're going to anyway. <laughs> we're going to bring this down real quick. Okay. So some I, don't, sad music. I don't want to linger on this, but the Bears had a press conference today. So it was announced after we finished recording yesterday that Chuck Pagano was retiring and that it seemed as if Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were going to be back. The Bears hold a press conference this morning with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy at the press conference. I think when they announced that that was going to be the case, we got an indication that they would probably be back next year. It was an embarrassment on every single level what the company line and the messaging was on the on that Zoom call. You can't try to feed me that this is the right leadership structure to take this organization where it wants to go. You can't tell me that, well, you know, outside of having a quarterback, everything else is fine. Because now, bringing these guys back, here's the risk that you run. Doug Marone came back to Jacksonville, right? Fine. But they tore it down. They tore the whole thing down because they changed the... They, even though the GM was the same, they got rid of Coughlin. There was a, obviously a decree from the ownership. We're going to tear this down. We're going to trade guys, whatever. Allowing Ryan Pace to be the person who's now in charge of this team, I absolutely see a world where they make panic moves to either go get a quarterback or something else to try to save their jobs, and they put this team and the organization at further risk over the next several years. That's most likely what's going to happen, and it's unacceptable. There is no basis on which these guys should be the ones in charge. And it's it's over. And and the quicker you admit that it's over, the sooner you can move on and try to get to a place you want to get to. If you don't care about being a championship-level organization, if you don't care about winning a Super Bowl, that's fine. But don't try to feed me the fact that you do. Don't try to shove that down my throat. Because everything that they have done 
over the last year indicates that that is not the most important thing to the Chicago Bears organization. Well, one, I, I'm not with you if you say if you don't want to win a Super Bowl, that's okay with me. Oh, it's not because okay. What, what, of right? course it's, it's not, not okay. okay. But, but at least don't but, like, lie about it. What's the point? Right. It's not, like, what are they trying to do? That is the big question. But I, I was... I wasn't watching the press conference live because there was a lot of other stuff going on and prepping for this, but I was following along with all of the Bears beat writers who were basically live tweeting it. And it was almost like, are these like quotes from the onion? I couldn't figure out. It's incredible. Is this for real? So when you hear things like Ryan Pace saying, is eight and eight good enough? No. Is losing in the first round good enough? No. But I appreciate that we fought. We stuck together. Like, what are we doing here. Uh, this is the type of shit like, you tell like a six-year-old when they got a bad grade on a test or something it's I, I just can't even imagine that this is the line of thinking and what they're trying to sell for a professional football team and here's here's bears president ted phillips have we gotten the quarterback right no have we won enough games no but everything <laughs> else is there like it's i just was reading though. through i was it's, <laughs> I was it's utter delusion like, it is utter delusion to think that and i don't want to go so quickly to the tear it down tear it down tear it down rhetoric because I don't think you have to tear it down you know we've seen teams that never got bad and I'm not saying that the Bears have to lose on purpose and get the number one pick in the draft that's not what I'm saying but you need to endure drastic changes to get out of this sort of rut if you're a typical organization obviously there are teams who didn't have to do that whether it's the Packers or the Chiefs or the Steelers or the Saints when they were stuck in the middle they eventually got out of it those teams most of them had Hall of Fame quarterbacks in place to kind of get through those middle years the Ravens did not the Ravens are a team and I've talked to some people there about this idea why tanking is a problem and why it's difficult for your for your franchise and how it that's tough to get through every once in a while and the Ravens managed to get out on the other side without doing it but they got the best player in college football with the 32nd overall pick. That is, that's not always going to happen. That is not no. a model. It's hard to follow that. The Chiefs, obviously they never got bad. They were a top five offense before they got Patrick Mahomes. The infrastructure was in place. They had Andy Reid. All they needed was the quarterback. The quarterback was the last piece. The quarterback isn't even the last piece for this Bears team. It's not as if they're a quarterback away from a championship. And... Even for Mahomes, it was year two when he stepped into the offense. I just don't understand how you can think if we're, you know, oh, we just need this thing and this thing and this thing and we got it. You need everything. This team is so far away and there is no way you can spin that this is the group that can get you from point A to point B. It's just not possible. When you don't have the leadership in place, when you don't have the roster talent, when you don't have the quarterback, it's okay to say, let's hit reset and let's move on. That's okay. I But that road is hard. And this leadership structure with McCaskey, with Phillips and everything else, they are not willing to endure that road. And if you're not, this is what you're going to get stuck with. It's going to be Groundhog Day all over again. It's going to be this all of the time. And this is the place where they're at. It, this is seriously testing me. I'm not, I'm not even joking. And I've thought a lot about this while I've been in this business. And whether or not the fandom is a good or bad thing. And I, I go back and forth about it because I think there are plenty of people at journalism schools who would tell you that what I'm doing is wrong. And I've always thought that even if I had trouble seeing it with clear eyes every once in a while, 
the ability to understand the mindset of why people care about this and everything else was worth it. That's why it was worth hanging on to. And let alone like my history and everything else. And, you know, I lost my dad and that was our thing. And it was a way to just feel like myself in a lot of ways. And I'm getting serious about this now, but it, it really does make me think about why is this worth it if these are this these are the decisions that are going to be made if these if these franchises don't give a shit about you why should you give a shit about them i mean it, i have gotten to a point where i have never been more frustrated as a bears fan than watching them make the same decisions over and over and over again and expect something different to happen and what's hard is that we I think a lot of us saw this now coming, right? I mean, a month ago, six weeks ago, you could start to think, okay, like th they're going to actually blow this up this time. There's no way that Matt Nagy is going to survive this this time. They're going to have to make a change at quarterback. And then they started winning some games. They back into the playoffs. Mitchell Trubisky wins the Nickelodeon MVP award by throwing a late touchdown. I mean, it's just all of these reasons that all of a sudden you could, they can talk themselves into there's something here that's worth building upon when all of the evidence from all these other organizations that you just named that all of the, there's so much evidence that this is not the the right way and this is not the way to do it. And yet this is, this is what continues to happen. And um, I do appreciate your conversation though, and, and your thoughts about fandom and how we approach our jobs, because um, you know, I, I grew up a Broncos fan. I mean, I went, I was in high school when the Broncos won their two Super Bowls. I mean, it was some of my favorite sports memories, very like foundational pieces. And I gave that up right when I had to become a sports writer. It helped that I had moved away for a long time. Um, and then I was covering the team. And I think when you're covering a team as a beat writer, it's really hard to be it's difficult. a fan. And you, you just, you really can't you can't do it. It's it's not good for your career. It's not good for your coverage. It's not good for your readers. Um, but there is that part of me sometimes that misses, misses a little bit of that. And which is, you know, and, and I also, I went to a division three school. I don't have like a college football team really that I root for. So I've kind of gone all in on some baseball and, you know, baseball fandom to like keep that part of like remembering what it's like to follow every single transaction on Twitter and um, follow all the beat writers and all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's rough. I mean, I, I, I feel for Bears fans right now, almost as much as any fandom out there right now, you know, Browns fans are getting to have like the joy of what it's like and Bills to fans. watch things turn around. Bills fans are getting it. Lions fans, at least now, as depressing as it is to be a Lions fan, at least they are going through a major organizational change at some point. They still don't have a GM. They still don't have a head coach. They're into their second round of interviews for both of those positions. But at least there's that feeling of, okay, something will be different next year. I can't say exactly how it's going to be different, but it will be different. And in Chicago, nothing is going to be different. And I don't, I just don't know how you could expect things to be that much better, if better at all. It's why when I deflect talking about them as often as I do, it's because it's hard to do it in a level-headed way. And it's hard to do it with the amount of kind of distance you need emotionally from it to do it well. It's why I've so rarely written about the Bears in my career, because it's really difficult to balance those two things. And I think that you're walking a tightrope every single time you try to do it. And I've, I'll admit that in the past, you know, if you like dug through some tweets, I probably said some embarrassing shit about the 20, 2018 Bears and about some of the moves that they made because you want to talk yourself into it. 
It's the same way that I'm sure a lot of Seahawks fans talk themselves into the Jamal Adams trade. Even if you know it's wrong, you still want to get excited about those things as a fan. And that's why I've tried to keep it at arm's length as often as I have. And it's just difficult to pull off. All right. We're not going to talk about the Bears anymore. That that is because <laughs> that was a ten, too depressing. <laughs> that was a, well. That was a ten minute Bears conversation. It's way longer than anyone we ever should be having at this point in time. All right, <sighs> let's get into more dysfunction and that what's happening in Seattle right now. Yeah, the Seahawks announced that they fired Brian Schottenheimer. Should not be surprising based on the way that the second half of the season went. And this is just another reminder. You know, we talked about it a little bit with Shield yesterday, and I think that it's a really good point. It's really hard to be the offensive coordinator of a defensive-minded head coach's team. Think about the graveyard of offensive coordinators that exists in places like Minnesota right now. And Seattle is the same way. I mean, you just keep going through these guys, and it's tough because you don't, especially with a guy who has the presence of a Pete Carroll or a Mike Zimmer, somebody like that, where they're going to have their fingerprint on what the offense is. I think something that's smart that a lot of offensive-minded head coaches have done is they've essentially said, here you go, defense is yours, you go nuts. I don't think that happens as much on the other side, and I think that it makes it difficult to kind of see out your vision. I'm not putting this on Pete Carroll. I think that Brian Schottenheimer probably deserves some of this blame, but I do think it's a difficult job to pull off, and now we're in a point where – you have Russell Wilson as a $32 million quarterback. You have all these moves that you made to essentially go all in with this version of your roster. And now you're starting over with another offensive coordinator. And I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know who it should be. But it's going to be the dominant storyline in Seattle here over the next month or so as they look for the right answer after failing to find it for so long. And and part of this, too, is that we know who Pete Carroll is. And so much of this run first, run heavy um, offense that is in Pete Carroll's DNA. And it's in Mike Zimmer's DNA too, if we're, you know, when we're talking about uh, Minnesota and what he likes in offense and what he, how they envision what a successful team should be. So, you know, I think we can think of a lot of offensive candidates whose schemes, whose use of play action, um, might be a better fit for Russell Wilson and might make him more successful, might help him out on the areas that he struggles, particularly with their short passing game. Um, But ultimately, it's going to come down to what does Pete Carroll want and who is going to have the right identity that's going to mesh with who Pete Carroll is, because Pete Carroll is not changing who he is. I don't think all all of a sudden Pete Carroll is going to completely want to change the identity of his team. What I hope they do is they find a good marriage and somebody who's able to maximize what Russell, what Russell Wilson does best, minimize maybe some of the weaknesses, and get the most out of how many ever how many ever years they have left. Russell Wilson's thirty two, which is bonkers to me that he's already thirty two. I mean, he probably can play another ten years, right? I mean, that's what quarterbacks are doing these days. But you know, there, there are life cycles here where you, you God, know, it's depressing the way that, that thirty two is old now. <laughs> well, yeah, but. <laughs> It Russell just, it Wilson feels and I like are like the still... same age, and it's time to admit that we're both on the back half of our careers. Yeah. Well, I still want to lump him in with like the young quarterbacks. Yeah, he's not. And though. he's ten years older than Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and that crew of quarterbacks and Sam Darnold, who I think is what twenty three. I mean, that's that's a lifetime, right? So, you know, I think the Seattle team is going to be going through more changes. KJ Wright could be gone. Um, you know, they're a lot of just their who their identity has been. So I'm very, very curious who they're going to land if 
Pete, if Pete Carroll might be even willing to go outside of his comfort zone at all, or if it really is going to be, let's find a guy who's, you know, still going to want to run the ball a lot and establish the run and, you know, and let, let Russ take some deep shots, but we're, maybe it's naive to expect that they would come and bring somebody in who was really going to, you know, put in this new spread offense and run a lot of options and stuff. I just don't, I just don't know if that, if Pete Carroll has that in him. One of the early bits of news is that they're looking at potentially the Clemson co-offensive coordinator. I know nothing about him. I don't watch college football enough to have a nuanced opinion about that. It's, I just think one of the more disappointing things, if you were a Seahawks fan, is that coming into this year, even the last couple of years, you look at Mike Sanders' quarterback tiers, for example, Russell Wilson's in tier one. And tier one is supposed to be reserved for guys who can succeed independent of whatever their surroundings are. And I think it was really disappointing for people who thought Russell Wilson was in that camp of quarterbacks to watch what happened over the second half of the season and to know that if he's not in circumstances conducive to his success, that he can have the types of struggles that we saw from him. And it makes you kind of rethink what Russell Wilson really is. And I think that Russell Wilson is a fantastic quarterback, obviously, but I still think that you have to recalibrate exactly how good you believe him to be and exactly what sort of surroundings he needs to be great. And I just didn't think we would be in that place coming into the season. I was firmly of the opinion that more Russell Wilson was better for everybody. And it just seems like it's more complicated than that. And I think he's still a great quarterback, but I do think that we kind of have to dig into the details a little bit more than expected. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know a ton about Tony Elliott either from Clemson. Um, Other than that, he's really well-respected and he's been on like a short list of college coordinators uh, or short list of college names of guys at the NFL is keeping an eye on. So um, I don't think the Seahawks would be the first team that has, have inquired about him. He's, um, you know, actually kind of surprised his name hasn't popped up a little bit more. But um, and Dan Pompey, our our colleague, Dan Pompey, wrote a really good profile on him earlier this season. Oh, so, that's good um, to know. Go, I'll go check. Make that sure out. and go check that out on The Athletic. Yeah, you absolutely should do that. Dan is fantastic. Um, I remember it, I, quick Dan Pompey story. I, I've read Dan Pompey for years because he's a Chicago guy. And obviously, and I remember we were at the Super Bowl in Minnesota a few years ago. And I was in the we were staying at the Marriott by the airport. And I was in the elevator with Dan. And he was about to go present Brian Urlacher to the Hall of Fame committee. And you could just tell how like it really mattered to him to do a good job. And like that's just the type of guy Dan Pompey is. It's just like he takes this stuff very seriously. And like that's why he's great at his job. All right. Let's move on. A bit more coaching news here. Starting to feel like Robert Sala might be the guy for the Jets. Just got a second interview. A lot of science pointed to that. I believe Chris Sims was talking about it. Um, it was reported on Pro Football Talk that it felt like we were trending in that direction. Makes sense to me. I, I don't really know what else to say other than that. I, you know, I've made it very clear that I think that the bar has to be extremely high for me to be looking at a defensive head coach over an offensive head coach. I think it's much more difficult to sustain success with that model. But it does seem like he might be bringing a guy like Mike LaFleur with him, be running that Shanahan offense, which I think, again, if we're talking about the things I prefer, that's it's up there at the top. And it does feel like if head coaching hires are designed to be overcorrections, if that's where teams usually go as the opposite of the guy they had before, hiring a defensive-minded head coach who seems to be very energetic, charismatic, and beloved by his players after Adam Gase does feel like a logical next step. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, so there are a lot of dots to connect there. Robert Sala has been very popular during this interview cycle. And he so he was the first guy to get a second interview uh, with the Jets. Second interviews can be in person. So um, the first round of all these interviews because of all the COVID protocols this year had to be, um, you know, virtual over Zoom or, or what have you. Um, but he was actually able to go to New Jersey to meet with Joe Douglas, meet with the Johnsons, um, go through that interview. But he is leaving the building. He did not um, leave with a contract or if he does have an offer, he's going to conduct other interviews. And now the Eagles are going to fly him reportedly to Florida, which is where uh, Jeffrey Lurie apparently is for their interview process where, you know, it would have been a lot easier apparently to just drive, you know, down the turnpike to Philadelphia from New Jersey. But uh, instead, he's going to be flown to Florida. Um, but he has been very popular. But I think it would make sense for him to go to the Jets. But um you know, a lot of questions there, who their quarterback is going to be, what exactly their offense is going to look like. Um, but he is very popular. I, I think some of the Jets beat writers have still been talking. Arthur Smith is still in the mix there pretty heavily. Um, and he is now available to do interviews as well after the Titans lost. Um, last. He was able to do virtual interviews previously, but now that his team is out of the playoffs, um, he could do in-person interviews. So I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of movement on the coaching front in the next couple of days. It's kind of wild that there have actually been no jobs filled since we last recorded on Thursday Yeah, morning. it is kind of crazy. That we went through this whole and, I, and part of that I think is that some of these candidates are still in the playoffs, um, and now some new play new candidates have become available. And I do think teams are still going to want to do in person interviews, and they were prohibited from doing that um, previously. So now they're able to kind of get these guys either into their buildings or meeting in hotel conference rooms and having kind of some of those longer conversations. Um, but so hopefully we'll start seeing some of those coaching dominoes fall here in the next. You know, in the next couple of days, almost certainly, you know, maybe some by the time you you guys listen to this on Thursday. I think that you know, if he brings Lafleur, I, I, Lafleur and McDaniel are the two guys have been mentioned. Mike McDaniel, who's the run game coordinator. Obviously, the Niners don't have an offensive coordinator; they have two, a pass game coordinator, a run game coordinator. Mike Lafleur is their pass game coordinator. I think that he's the name that's been connected to Salah the most. Um, that would make sense. So that's a huge part of your staff, obviously, if you're a defensive minded head coach. But I also am interested in what his staff would look like on the defensive side of the ball. You know, the last couple years, Chris Kasurik, who's the 49ers defensive line coach, is, in my, for my money, one of the best in the business. He's done a fantastic job, really no matter who's been out there. And he came from Detroit, where he had a lot of success. And then Joe Woods, who was there two years ago and is now the Browns offense or defensive coordinator, he was a secondary coach there. And I think that him getting there in 2019 – really allowed them to pepper that defense with some new ideas. And the one concern I would have about Robert Sala on the defensive schematic stuff is that he comes from a very traditional place. So he was he comes from that Seattle tree. He was with Gus Bradley in Jacksonville. And I would love to see that staff come together with some people from different backgrounds because I'm worried, not worried, I have my concerns about how many of those true blue Seattle cover three guys are still shaping defensive football around the league? And I think that it, it, this is true with everything. Like with Ken Stefanski put together his staff in Cleveland, for example, you know, they went out and got Bill Callahan, who has a very a varied background in offensive line play within several different schemes. Chad O'Shea, who's their wide receivers coach, is from the Patriots side of things. And he brought some new ideas in the red zone and stuff like that. And I think that's really important. I think populating your staff with people of disparate schematic backgrounds can be really healthy. 
And I would, I'm very curious to see if his staff is just all guys from that Seattle background or if he's bringing it from a few different vantage points because I do think that that can be an important consideration, especially with a system that I think some people have accused of becoming a little bit stagnant. So speaking of the Seattle system becoming a little <laughs> bit stagnant. So this is a really good transition, Robert. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Professional podcaster. So we had some defensive coordinator hires this week. The Cowboys go out and hire Dan Quinn as their defensive coordinator, and the Raiders go out and hire Gus Bradley as their defensive coordinator. We had a couple different, I, I think I just talked about it with Barnwell, but I'd had discussions about it on other shows last week about the places the league looks for its defensive coordinators. So as of last week, there were 28 full-time defensive coordinators in the league. 13 of them were previously fired head coaches that just fell back into defensive coordinating. Now, with these two guys getting this job, these jobs, that number is even going to go up, even though Chuck Pagano is now not in that pool anymore. Yeah, and I guess we count Gus Bradley, even though he had a coordinator job. Yes. I, I think in the he, he once yeah. was a head coach. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he is an establishment guy for better or worse. Yeah. Same with Jack, Jack Del Rio. Yes. Multiple head coaching jobs. Yeah. And I think some of those guys, for like Jack Del Rio, is a great example. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo is another good example. That can work. And I absolutely think that. Gus Bradley or Dan Quinn could do a fine job as the defense coordinator in either of these places. I just think that it's extremely boring and extremely uninventive. And especially with the Dan Quinn side of this, Dan Quinn, when he was in charge of the Falcons defense, they were worse than when he wasn't. Like Dan Quinn seems like a great guy. I've enjoyed the conversations I've had in my life with Dan Quinn. It just really feels like, especially after the Chris Richard experience in Dallas, that there are more interesting places that we can be looking for these coaches. And the Cowboys and the Raiders just fall right back into, well, those guys were good enough at one point, they'll be good enough again. And I just think it's a really staid and outdated way of thinking about the types of coaches you should be looking for. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting or a big question that I have when, with both of those situations, with Quinn going to Dallas and Bradley going to the Raiders, is that both of them are moving into a place where the talent level that they're going to be coaching is significantly worse than the places that they left. Um, you know, I think the, the defense wasn't the issue with the Chargers. I mean, Gus Bradley got, I mean, lost his job with the Chargers because he got swept up in the um, – when Anthony Lynn got fired and then all of the coaches are free to look for other jobs, all of that happens. But he had really, really good talent. Um, some injury issues, obviously, with the Chargers. But look, he had Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And Melvin Ingram, Ingram. And, yes. Derwin, and he had Derwin James previously, obviously not in 2020. He is walking into a Las Vegas Raiders team that they need some significant talent upgrades at basically every level of their defense. So this is not an easy fix for, guess for Gus what? Bradley by any means. Guess what? That defense <laughs> is dependent on having really good players, especially in the front four. You need a great pass rush for that to work. And if you look at the Raiders, it was so funny with Gus Bradley when he was introduced this week. And one of the first things he said was, we need to build the defensive line and then go from there. It's like, <laughs> that's not what you got, man. It's... Again, it absolutely could work, and, and I know it's more complicated than they just play a bunch of cover three. I, I know that that's not how the league works anymore, and even those coaches that do that, it's a lot of match, and it's a lot of, you know, they do different things. I just think that we're picking from a pool of coaches that is smaller than it should be. If the real goal is to build the best defense possible 
rather than a passable defense. I just wish that teams were looking for those coaches in more interesting places. That's all I will say. Yeah, I mean, no, but so far the D, the D coordinator jobs that we've seen, um, you know, have been fairly boring retread hires. Nobody has gone out and tried to find their own Brandon Staley. Um, also, Brandon Staley is having some head coaching interviews, but, um, you know, his team is still in the playoffs, so that maybe decreases where he would go. But, you know, it's interesting that, you know, everybody raced to find the next Sean McVay. But why are people not racing to find the next Brandon Staley? It's a fantastic question. And I, I think it's the way that people think about defense. I really think it's about having a defense that does just enough. And I just don't understand why you would think about it that way. It's not as if Brandon Staley and the Rams have been a decent defense where it's like, oh, this guy came in as a 38 year old guy, never was a coordinator before. You know, he's been fine. They have the best defense. And it just makes no sense. And innovative to me. and creative and fun to watch and yes. night a nightmare to game plan for. Yeah. And it's and they like, have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, which even I think this is uh, even a team that you would never accuse of being cutting edge. The Seahawks are looking at the Clemson co-offensive coordinator to be their offensive coordinator. Even teams that you wouldn't mention alongside some of the more forward-thinking organizations in the league are still looking for offensive coaches in more interesting places than anyone is looking for a defensive coach. And I just don't understand why that continues to be the approach. I'm sure there's a good answer, but I'm not sure it's going to be satisfactory. All right, let's move on. A couple more news things to hit here. The Browns seem like they're going to have their guys back, you know, for all intents and purposes. Kevin Stefanski obviously is going to be back. Joel Petonio expected to play this week. Uh, Denzel Ward and Kevin Johnson, both of whom missed last week's game. Very important getting those guys back to play against the Chiefs. So the shorthanded Browns will most likely not be so shorthanded when they play against Kansas City. Yeah, they did a revolutionary thing today on uh on wednesday they practice wow you know what crazy crazy right i'm going the other way no more practices no no, we're done (laughs) no more practices for the browns well look jc treader nfl pa president uh brown center um he is already campaigning for way less practices as with the take the takeaway from 2020 i don't know if they need to go all the way to like just scrap them all together but one practice a week seems reasonable they have and that's basically what they've been doing they held a practice last friday that was it that was their only actual on-field practice um before heading into that steelers game and i don't i do not know what was up with that defense early in the game you know i think the steelers certainly contributed to it but it worked whatever it was they had the juice and they're going to need that same sort of uh juice next week at arrowhead and look i i think it would be naive to assume that patrick mahomes is going to throw three interceptions and that the opening snap of the game would go over Patrick Mahomes' head, anything like that. But I think there's a lot of really interesting matchups here. And it's really fun to see now that the Browns are going to be at full strength. And this time last week, we were talking about how much of a bummer it was that Kevin Stefanski, who should be the coach of the year, and Joel Batonio, the longest tenure Browns, didn't get to participate in a playoff game. But look, now they won. Now they get to be in the playoffs. They get to go to Arrowhead Stadium. Um, There's a ton of interesting storylines in that game. Kareem Hunt returning to Kansas City for the first time since he was cut there in 2018 for his off-field issues and um, the way that he handled that with his team. So um, really, really exciting matchup. And I'm glad that the Browns are going to be largely at full strength for it. Does it sound like Jack Conklin is going to play? I know the hamstring has been bothering him. 
Um, yeah, I'm not sure. He's still day. They're calling it day to day. I know he's like a real tough I guy. I have to and... imagine he'd play. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a hamstring. For an offensive lineman is a different consideration than it is for a receiver or a corner yes. or something like that. So I would love to see him play. I'd love to see that line at full strength because I think that that's – we'll get into that with Nate a little bit, but I think that's their best path forward here. Yeah, I think we should expect that Jack Conklin is going to play unless he has a significant setback during this week. All right, last thing here. The Broncos have a general manager. Yes, they do. They moved fast. It is George Payton who is the assistant general manager with the Vikings. I never really have opinions on GM hires. I just think it's such a strange job that – hiring someone from an organization that's been successful typically is the route that most teams go. I think that it's such a, a job with a wide scope that it's difficult for me to, like, I don't know a lot of these guys. I don't know George Payton. I've never had a conversation with George Payton. I think for the most part, the Vikings have assembled a lot of talent during the Rick Spielman tenure. And if you look at the ways they've been able to retain a lot of that talent, I also think that they've done a fantastic job of managing the salary cap. Rob Brzezinski, who has been there forever is their money guy. And I think that, you know, learning from him and just the ways that they've assembled the roster there in Minnesota over the last decade, I think it's a, as good a place to look as any. That's that's really all I have to say about this. Yeah, I mean, so George Payton, you know, he's been in Minnesota for a very long time. I think it's, you know, 15 years or so. I mean, he's been there a very long time. And he is a scout. Like, he is a, like, scout through and through, road scout, college scout, really, really respected evaluator of talent, which, look, the Broncos need somebody who's going to do a really good, a really hard evaluation on this current roster, especially on the defense side of the ball. Um, you know, he doesn't have like maybe the, the salary cap background, some of the administrative side of the background, but he is coming in. John Elway is still going to be there, at least for this first year. They have a new salary cap manager, Rich Hurtado, who they brought in last year. So there are there are those pieces in place to handle all of that. So when I see George Payton, I see I see a guy who is going to come in and just really kind of maybe overhaul their scouting problem or their scouting process and really just give a hard look to what this roster is right now. The one question that I have, and I, and I, I posted this earlier on our, um, it, on the athletic when, when this news broke was that it's going to be a really interesting dynamic because John Elway is still in that building. And I'm really curious what some of these job interviews were like for the general manager candidates, because it was John Elway. It was Vic Fangio were part of these interviews and candidates were, probably coming in and being asked to like give an evaluation of what our team is. So it's players that John always selected and players that Vic Fangio had coached. So did they want a guy who gave a really hard evaluation of what this roster looked like? Um, and, and exactly now, what are those dynamics going to be where George Payton is going to have final say over the roster, but John Elway is still going to be around to give his input on things like what do we do about Von Miller's? salary? Do we give the franchise tag to Justin Simmons again? Um, what do we do at quarterback? Are we going to bring somebody else in? Do we draft another quarterback to compete with Drew Locke? Or do we, you know, you go, go in all in again for another year and really make Drew Locke your guy? Elway will be involved in some of those decisions. And so that's kind of an interesting dynamic, although I think largely Elway is going to be pulling away from most things. And there's a pretty decent chance that he's not really involved in the organization beyond next season um I it will has say the to one feel other... like the, the somebody coming in Peyton coming in is a strike against Drew Locke's future with the franchise I'm not sure how you could spin it any other way yeah I mean it's it definitely leaves a lot of questions for Drew Locke right because 
there's nothing secure for him anymore. Like every option now is on the table when you bring a guy who had no part in drafting you. Um, and look, Vic Fangio is very much like a tough love kind of guy. Like, I don't think Vic is a guy who's going to be, has been, who has been coddling Drew Locke or will coddle Drew Locke in the future. I mean, I think there's still a, a pretty good chance that Drew Locke is the starting quarterback for the Broncos in 2021. But I would be surprised if they go the same route that they did last year and just say, he is our guy. We're not going to sign a veteran backup. We're not going to draft anybody else. Um, you know, you bring in a new GM and, you would expect that there would be some some pretty hard looks at that position and maybe some uh, – you look and see who else you can bring in there to give him some competition. What's your job interview approach? Do you like saying what people want to hear or do you kind of tell it how it is? <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. I don't know. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think so too. I think I try to split the difference in the very few job interviews I've ever had in my life. I think the only – I've really only yeah. had like one. I'm trying to remember back to my so when I when I got this job here at the athletic, it wasn't really like a job interview. It was one of these phone calls like, hey, do you want to talk? And you in the conversation in the in the path of talking, you realize like this is actually a job interview. This is not just a introductory conversation. So you kind of pivot and shift and figure <laughs> out like try to sell yourself, but then also, you know, want to learn more about the company. Well, I've pulled back the little curtain on that one, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> but um yeah, it was interesting. I, I will say I have never been wined and dined, apparently, like Jordan Payton was when he was flown to Denver. And I taken love to Mike Elway's Kliss giving us the play-by-play of who ordered what at dinner. It just my, sounds my exactly guy, Mike right. Kliss. Oh, so, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, my guy, Mike Kliss, who was my beat partner at the Denver Post when uh, covering the Broncos for four or five years together, he, he detailed what every person at the dinner at Elway's Always Cherry Creek, not always uh, downtown. You had to be specific. Always Cherry Creek, which Denver restaurants were closed until about last week. So good thing the the the, the restrictions changed, or else I don't think this deal would have gotten accomplished. But all of the guys, Elway, uh, Peyton, Patrick Smythe, who their their VP of communications. They all got steak, which is what you get when you go to LA's. And Vic Fangio got a burger. And I, God bless him. I love him for it. What a fucking power move to do <laughs> a job interview for your replacement at a restaurant named after you. It's Well, it's either... Look, if you're going to go to like a fancy steakhouse in Denver, you're then going to Elway's or Shanahan's. So I guess Elway takes his guys to God, his Denver's a his wonderful place. city, but you poor, poor people. We need some options for steakhouses in, in Denver, Colorado. They're they're both they are very good. I mean, I I can although actually I've never been to Shanahan's, but because it's quite out of my price range and it's not four year old friendly. I'm not I'm not taking my daughter to to Shanahan's to throw meat and potatoes on the floor. But um, I have been to Elway's and it is fantastic. But yeah, we're I mean it is like a steakhouse. There's other there's a Del Frisco's and everything, but. You know, I mean, always, in 10 years, when Locks opens, you can take Lena there. Well, that's his family business. Have you been to the Lock State, the Lock restaurants in Kansas City? I didn't even know that was a thing. No. So his, well, they're not called Locks, but his dad is a restaurateur and owns multiple restaurants. Wow. Um, Joke works on several levels. I'm pretty proud of myself. In, in Kansas City. So not quite like the upscale. I mean, I think they're nice restaurants, but they're not like the super upscale uh, steakhouses. But I think it's probably only a matter of time before... Uh, before Drew gets into the family business. God, I can't wait to eat a restaurant again. All right, Lindsay, (laughs) thank you very much. Always good to talk to you. We will be back next week to do the same thing all over again. Championship week. I can't wait. Awesome. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, I am very excited to be welcoming my buddy Nate Tice to the show. Nate, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm loving becoming the NFL and just to see me every day now. Like now, now I know. on Thursdays. I was just Sundays and Mondays. All right, here we go. It's Thursday. Well, yeah, Wait Thursdays. till next Let's year when we do the show daily. <laughs> the daily. <laughs> Our own version of that. Yeah, that'd be the, the NFL I, Daily, an hour and a half NFL of NFL daily. podcast every single day. All of our producers <laughs> are going to be thrilled. And we'll, we'll go over two plays per podcast. And it'll take two hours. <laughs> And that's all, all we right. do. Install. We're going to keep this a little bit tighter than last week's show. Obviously, there are only four <laughs> games, so it's a little bit easier to get through. We're just going to go through this game by game. We're going to go through it like the schedule is laid out. And we're starting in, I think, my favorite place. I just think there's so much to dig through with this game. Rams, Packers, Saturday afternoon, Lambeau Field. I will be making the drive, the very cold drive from Chicago nice. to Lambeau. I, so... Going to games at Lambeau is awesome. I mean, it's it's very yeah. fun. It's it's obviously a cathedral and all that. The winter, though, and this is going to be a little different this year because there's no locker room access, but it's one of the only stadiums where even from the press box, you have to go outside. You have to walk down this catwalk uh, after you go yeah. down the press box to get downstairs. So it's always freezing cold. So it's Wednesday right now. I'm already planning on all of the things I need to layer up with in order to go to Lambo for this game. That's it's my mindset whenever I know layers. I'm going there. That's a, that's a thing that uh, people don't realize with coaches in the booth is they have to get up there. And yeah. NFL, most of the stadiums are modern enough that they had actually planned on this. Uh, coaches get up there. But when you get in some of these older stadiums, especially in college, you get some wild times where you got coaches on <laughs> golf carts going through like drunken fans, weaving in and out. Everyone's heckling you. So if you're like part of a team and you're like down like 35, nothing at halftime or something like that is the worst. <laughs> like we played at Duke and you had to go literally up through the stands to get to the coach's box. So it's like you're just walking up the stands <laughs> in between the student uh. section, like whatever section it is. But yeah, that's an under, under realized thing that people don't realize that the coaches do <laughs> on game day. Wonderful. All right. Let's dig yeah. into this. Obviously, the marquee matchup here is Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense against everything happening on the Rams defense. Sounds like Aaron Donald is going to play. I looked it up this week because uh, I was curious. And it just he's never missed the game because of injury. He missed two games in 2017 because of the holdout and then because the Rams sat their starters in week 17. So I knew he'd never missed a game, but I was like, I wonder how many times he's been on the injury report. So out of 112 weeks of Aaron Donald's career, he's been on the injury report twice. That's he, insane. He was questionable in both of those games. He played in both of those games. It was like a random like week three game two years ago and a random like week five game in 2015. 
That is if, not normal. It, it would have been broken up like if you play for the Patriots because they used to they took away the probable designation just because yeah. the Patriots used to be so annoying <laughs> with it. And list they would have twenty eight guys listed as probable. And then if you were like the opposing team having to do that scouting, you're just like, yeah, I have to mark it. They're probable. <laughs> like and then Tom Brady every week probable. It's like yeah, okay, yeah, he's probably gonna play. <laughs> yeah, t- Tom Brady was on there with a the shoulder injury for like six straight seasons. The Patriots, yeah. the screwing up everyone's title chances and the clerical work of low-level assistants throughout the NFL. All right, so we're going to be at this matchup mostly full strength. Obviously, Bakhtiari not playing, but we've known that coming in. So let's look at this just big picture. Where do you think, if you were Matt LaFleur in the Packers offense, how are you trying to bend some of the rules of this Rams defense? Where does your game plan start if you're in those rooms this week? Uh Getting some cheapies yeah. against them, uh, I think, and I think the Packers are the best team at getting cheapies. Chiefs maybe as well, but that's a chicken and the egg thing. <laughs> Is it because of the quarterback that they're able to get these cheapies? But I think, I think just getting as many as possible. These guys flow so hard; they're going to have to go to the bootleg and PA game, and a lot of stuff moving, a lot of moving parts that they're going to need. Even though we saw a team like the Seahawks attempt to use match match coverage breakers. That's the only way you can strain them. Uh, Explain they that. so well. Um, so uh, on the Sunday show, we talked about the four strong stuff or anything that's kind of over overlapping is really will will confuse match coverages where it forces defenders to communicate. What's so much fun watching the Rams do it is that they communicate so well, everybody moves on a string. So we saw the Packers do it. And I what game was this? It was the Sunday night game. We hit the whole shot. Um, but he was, uh, or he being Rodgers, they were using some of the same exact stuff where they had the speed motions and create like a four vertical out of it, or they'll create oh, it's the Atlanta some combination game. of switching. It was it Atlanta. Was the Atlanta that's game. exactly right. Yep, yep. So in that game, that's perfect because it's the same types of coverage. That's a match coverage team as that's why they were running it. So with these switch verticals, you're switching um, the count for these defenders because a defender in a match coverage, it's not, I have this guy in man or I have this area of the zone. I have number one. The next guy has number two, the final number one, the final number two at the snap of the ball. So when there's a speed motion, three can become two, two can become one. If there's switch releases, all that changes up. And that's why it's really impressive watching these really good match coverage teams do that because they communicate and it's without, they all know what's coming. They all know exactly what they have to do and get done against the Seahawks in the first drive. It was back-to-back snaps of it. Seahawks were testing them with these speed motions and switch verticals and Rams just act like it was nothing. And I think the Seahawks were like, well, there goes that page. <laughs> that was our big, that was our big shot. Like that's how we're getting those, those plays. And that's where you can generate even like a swing route on those plays with the switch verticals can lead to a 12 yard gain because stuff is getting passed off and they're backed up and also to hit some the seahawks lock their excuse me the rams lock their coverage on the back sides of those and the seahawks especially in the games they've played against them we've talked about this several times they tried to leak back out into that area where the locks defender had been cleared so if you're thinking about it so if you're thinking about it just visually if you have a three by one set and like jalen ramsey is locked on the back side and cover three of the three by one He's in man. So if that guy vacates that area, it's just space. So you try to get yep. guys back into that area. The Seahawks have done it, tried to do it consistently, but the Rams have yep. answers for it. And that's yep. that was the most fun thing is that it seems like the Packers' offensive approach with all of the flooding they do, with all of the jet motion that they do, would be a really good way to attack this team. But the Rams have consistently shown an ability – to be nimble and react to those sorts of plays. And that's why this is such yeah. a fascinating matchup. So I, I, I completely agree. And then the Seahawks, 
it's so true. I thought the exact same thing today when I was rewatching the game. Because you're watching them, it's like this is a good plan. This is how it you is. should do this, and it still if, didn't if work. If I close my eyes, if my day one to beat match stuff, that's exactly what I would yes. have done. It's not like it was like some stupid curl flats or basic concepts that match coverages are okay. We'll just bat that down. It was stuff to strain it, and they just acted like it was nothing. They were just like, okay, we'll just pass this off, and the rush got home, and those were turning into coverage sacks. That's what. I'm I'm curious to see because the Packers have shown that they can do it and they have the creativity to run the stuff and like they're a greatest hits band they run a little bit of everything and so I they have no qualms with just picking up something that they think can beat it another concept that I've seen some a lot of times teams will run this out of a one by three uh, Chiefs will do it is they will have the tight end or whoever's on the backside could be an X run like kind of like a outside curl route to lock down that defender over there and then run something over the top of that, like a yep. big over route over the top. So really be on the lookout for those kind of coverages. But the thing is a good defense or a well-coached team knows what the weaknesses are. So they know where you're trying to attack it. Those Seattle defenses of the uh, 2010s, the Legion of Boom days, they knew that the, all the cover three beaters that you were trying to run. So they knew where the, all of a sudden they're like, oh, this guy's running a curl. Okay, here comes something in the flat. Here comes, oh, I'm getting locked down here. Oh, I bet you something's coming over the top. And that's why Richard Sherman is incredible in that, those types of schemes because he can he has the ability to have a football IQ to do those types of things. And that's what I, I'm just I, I'm really excited to see it because no one's really slowed the Packers down. There's been a couple blips in there during the season. But they haven't played and the Rams. Tampa is so different. <laughs> Tampa is such a different yeah. team than this Rams Completely. team is. And so it, it's funny because uh, one of the plays that really sticks out to me, I tweeted it out earlier today, that it is kind of speaks to what we're discussing here. John Johnson was in a spot where he was supposed to take the number two receiver vertical in the rules. And they tried to do that. It was a third and seven or in the second quarter of that game. And he carried the tight end vertical for a second but he kept eyes on Russell Wilson and they tried to bring mm -hmm. Metcalf back across and he broke yep. back down and so it flies down and, and flew down so if in theory again like what we're talking about based on the rules that should be a win for the Seahawks <laughs> yeah but when yes. I talked to Brandon Staley one of the things that he said to me that was really notable is that in these match rules you're often reading route distribution, and that's the only yeah. thing you're paying attention to. The Rams teach their guys to at first react to the route distribution, but also keep eyes on the quarterback. So you're doing what you're supposed to do, but the quarterback can still take you to the ball. And that's exactly yeah. what happened there. And it's just such a difficult balance to find, but they strike it so often. So I think that I went back and I watched the 49ers games against the Rams today. Because, obviously, similar schematic tree, and also they had mm -hmm. some success. And the 49ers did a good job of getting the ball on the perimeter. And I think that's what you're going to have to do. Whether yeah. that's in the run game or, specifically for the Packers, one of the things they could go to often in this game is the RPO game outside. Because, like you said, you're not going to hit these big shots against the Rams, most likely. You're going to have to bite it off in little chunks. And those plays could be there. You just have to be patient enough to take them. And I think that the Packers with Aaron Rodgers are the exact sort of team that won't get ahead of themselves and will consistently take those gains. Yes, I he's it's not a quarterback I'm worried about getting baited into stuff. It's he knows what he's getting. He's faced this coverage or versions of this coverage over and over and over. I mean, faced Fangio when he was with the Bears. And it's it's interesting to see 
if he, I, I, I want, I really want to see if they do set up with the short stuff and the quick game stuff, or, or sorry, not quick game, but RPO stuff in the run game, and it brings the Rams up. Do the Rams get antsy? Do they stop going like I'm tired of these seven yard gains? I'm tired of these four yard gains. I don't think so. I really don't. I don't think so. I, I don't. But I, I just, I want to see it. I, I just want. I, it's, oh, I know. I'm just so excited. It's, it's, game. it's an incredible matchup, and I think that that's something <laughs> to watch is. for. The other thing outside of um, just the overall approach, I think a couple uh, specific things I was thinking about. The only play the Seahawks hit last week that was in structure was a combination that's very, it's for, you know, it happens all around the league. They had a vertical take the middle of the field safety deep, and then they tried to run. It looked like a crosser behind it. We see this stuff all the mm-hmm. time. But instead of coming across the field, Lockett broke back out. And so you're playing with that backside corner in that cover three match rule stuff. And it's a double move. And I want to see how often the Packers try to go to that some of that stuff. Because the Rams, like you said, were running routes for guys. They knew the distribution of stuff. So how can you play with those expectations? And that's going to be one of the big things the Packers have to answer. I think we absolutely could see Devontae on one of those deep overs to break back out to the to the sideline yeah. stuff like that where all right it looks it like this it looks like this we're running routes for guys boom little wrinkle right at the end yeah there, there's two plays that, yeah that's great like the McVay is one of the best ones it's funny because he's part of this game so this is a great instance and he did it last week of knowing those defensive rules to tweak his own stuff and it's a route that uh, I, I just loved it was the first drive I believe with the Rams they ran the over and sit route with cup and they'll do that a ton because they run so much post over kind of stuff out of play action or bootleg game that, and they're just so good at it. But you're generally the guy, the linebacker over the middle is trying to go run with the over. And if they sit on that, this linebacker that runs a four, six, four, seven has to overcompensate and all of a sudden cups wide open over the middle of the field. And they did it last week. I haven't seen him do it in a while. So I was kind of, it's, that's that little tweak of knowing what the coverage rules are. And McVay's done that over and over and over against the Seahawks defense because it's been the same defense for a decade now. And another thing is with the Packers last year in the playoff game against the Seahawks again, sorry, Seahawks fans, we're just, just <laughs> pummeling you right now. Um, they ran, do you remember the, the double um, move to Devontae? The, kind of, the yeah. double move, yeah. Devontae in the red zone. Yeah. And that was playing on the rules because the, the defender has to come over the top on that because it was a, it was a basically a pick. It was a rub route, fake rub route. Yeah. yeah. They're trying to make it set up like a rub route, but then he came off of it. LaFleur has that in his back pocket. He has those types of plays, those little tweaks. The, this is the playoffs. You, you could throw whatever shit you want out there. You're not setting up anything for next week. You're not setting up. You don't care what you're throwing out there. It's, hey, that's our awesome play. We've been saving that the whole season. Hey, it's time to whip it out. And that's why I want to see. The Packers love to run play action in the red zone. A lot of his, his production has come down there. And I want to see how the Rams play defense down there. Down there. Are they going to fall for it? Are they going to be the one team that can slow down this this flamethrower down there, the dragon, as you put it. And I want to see the other side too. Uh, I, I'm curious to see how this offense keeps rolling with the run game. Before we get to that, I want to talk about Devontae yeah. and Jalen Ramsey. Oh, because yeah. Because I'm so th- I think the conventional wisdom is, or I guess the question that's been brought up a lot this week is are the Packers going to try to put him in the slot to get him away from Ramsey? I don't think that's necessary. I actually would love to see what he can do as the backside of those three-by-ones with Ramsey locked in man coverage against him, with a, a t- not at the sideline, just like a decently reduced split where he has a two-way go. Because when mm-hmm. we've seen Ramsey dominate in those specific looks this season, it's against a specific kind of receiver. DK, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, those traditional X's 
are very, yep. very different than what Devontae Adams is like in space. And I think mm-hmm. I think the world of Jalen Ramsey. But I think if you're the Packers and you're removing Devontae as that backside guy singled up on Ramsey from your playbook, I think you're leaving stuff on the table. I absolutely think he could get him with some stuff. I think that's what they they will probably have that where they have him on the backside. I bet you just just like that red zone play from last year, it's those high leverage situations that also they have the designery stuff. I think just their base plays will be, yep, typical Ramsey singled up, X receiver, or however they do it, two by two sometimes. But then when it's like, hey, we got the special red zone play at the 10 yard line, or hey, it's third and five, and we got this certain coverage that we like, or a certain call that we really like, and we're going to put Adams in the middle. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. They put MBS at speed at three, running right by everybody. They can tweak things, they know what they're looking for. It's just, it's curious what they decide to bet on. That's what it's, yeah. it's, it's just, it's more fun. Where do it's you like think you quarter. can win? Yes, and I want to know what their own self-scouting says, like what their confidence in themselves it says. And I think they're pretty damn confident. They put up 500 points this year. <laughs> um, so I <laughs> I think they're going to be okay with what they run, but I do want to see if they're like, there's a couple of these designs, these game plan he plays that they put them in the slot. They just do something, something just to change up the look to make it just just look a little different to the Rams defense. The one thing I think is really interesting, and I think that the Rams have – not had a hard and fast rule for how they respond to this sort of stuff. But obviously one of the strengths of the Rams defense is unpredictability. When they're in that too high shell, you don't know what they're going to do. And because you can play any coverage essentially out of that. They spin to cover three all the time. You could do anything. That's one of the biggest strengths this team has is when you line up, you don't have a ton of information. The Packers are experts at extracting that information. Yes. When you, so jet motion, this is a, a fun little wrinkle. Jet motion when it was introduced in the NFL, I think, was designed to get the ball on the perimeter. That is the explicit purpose of doing that and the jet sweeps when they came into college and the league. Now, especially with McVeigh, they're information gatherers. When you do jet motion and they're in a two-high shell, they spin the safeties down so you know exactly what you're going to get. Are the Rams going to try to do that or are they going to say, we'll let you outnumber us on the perimeter. We'd rather not show you what we're going to do. That's that cat and mouse game. And also, Cadence, how much is yeah. Rodgers going to try to chirp at the snap and get them to show a tiny little bit of who's going to be where and what they want to do? That pregame little back and forth and how much he tries to gather by either sending guys in motion or hard counting, letting that play clock tick down, those are going to be the tiny things that really matter in this game. Yeah, the jet motion, I think when people realize they can use it so much more as a weapon in the pass game, yep. it has unlocked so I wrote a whole story and, about it this year. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how the how the how it's expanded because offenses, offense coordinators at first were like, oh, well, all we can do is run him on a swing route, and he's a check down. But then now they realize, oh, we can get him vertical. Yep. We can combine it and make that the switch release. We can have it jet motion and stop and come back like the Rams will do over and over. And it's just people realize what they can get away with. It's so much in the NFL is we can't do that. And then finally, some of these coaches go, why not? Yeah. And That's exactly it's right. really been really cool to see these concepts. Like when you just picture it, we keep saying three by one, two by two, four by one empty. There's only some way, so many ways you can draw these lines. And this, they, these guys are finding new ways to create these 
concepts, same concepts that teams have run for years and years and years, but just, just give it that little bit of difference. And the jet motion is a part of that. They just took what used to be a cross field, slow motion that teams could just go adjust. All right, switch, rotate. Okay. Now it's a jet motion. They have to do it right at the snap and maybe not everyone on that defense got the, got the communication. So they're putting just more strain. It's, 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 it's a part of a surprise. It's an element of surprise and in a weird way, just in a quick motion. So I went back and I watched the Titans Packers game today, all of Derrick Henry's run plays. Packers, that entire game, like we're lining up in a five-man front. That, that, that's, yeah. what, that's what we're doing. We're lining up in a five-man front. You are not going to run the ball on us. It's a little bit of a different consideration when you're playing against the Rams because of how often they line up in three receiver sets. But even when the Titans were lining up with three receivers, the Packers were still sitting in that. I am very curious if they're willing to do that and say, you're not going to beat us on the ground, we're going to make Goff beat us. If we're going to line up in that five-man front all game, have our big bodies on the field, I think that's the best answer. I think yeah. that's how I'd line up because I'd want to lose another way than getting gashed on the ground consistently in my light packages. They, It was really cool to see the Rams kind of go back to them. It, it was a ton of outside zone last week. Uh, it was the play action play, like I just talked about with the cup sitting on it, which I haven't seen in weeks that I, I haven't seen that in a few weeks that they've run that, uh, the open fa uh, open front side bootleg, those plays are what the Rams have done and done and done and just going on the quick and running these. And I think they're just going to stick with that zone run game that just worked for them last week. I agree. I, I think, and I think it's going to be okay for him. I, I didn't even realize until, you know, looking into the playoffs too, is the Rams had the fourth best run offense DVOA. Uh, by DVOA, yeah. and now they got Whitworth, and they got Andrew Whitworth looking okay. And he was knocking so just, guys around last week. That dude's, yeah. a, that dude's a monster. I cannot the, believe. What, what he did he have a meniscus or yes, MCL? Yes. What do you have? He tore his MCL. Stupid. <laughs> might, oh, that's just so stupid. I don't know how these guys do it. <laughs> He's thirty nine years old. Anyway, I know, and just so many, just so many reps on those bodies, and they just come back. And we've seen what happens though in the. Packers you think he's a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I think so too. I think this second half of the career helped his reputation so much. I hundred percent agree. And he he was in Cincinnati. He was considered everyone knew he was good. Very he good. was he and was then, a football nerd dream in Cincinnati. Now he's yeah. somebody that everybody knows about. And when you become a part of a Super Bowl team, it, you get a lot more spotlight shined on you. Correct. It, it's we know all those '70s Steelers players for a reason because they were on winning teams. Yep. You know you. That's I, I know the fullback for the '90s Cowboys, <laughs> you know Daryl Johnson. Like you know these, you get to know all these auxiliary players on winning teams, and that's a part of it. So I'm glad I'm glad he got some more shine on him. There's a lot of players like that. They'll just ply their trades some some years and years and years on bad teams and not get that light on them. I but but I I, I want to see. I like that the Rams came back to just their bread and butter, and Cam Akers played so well. He, he really has a nice feel now, and I think he's healthy, and it just looks a little better. Has fumble issues, though. Um, I, I, I Seahawks were trying at him, and they almost got him a couple times. I think after halftime, somebody talked to him, thank God. But we've seen what happens in the playoffs. The Packers have faced a team that is comfortable running the ball, especially on third down when, you know, these Packers teams like to get their fun little blitz stuff that, you know, Patin doesn't really care about gap, gap soundness on this. And I think the Rams are one of those teams that will be willing to run the ball in third and two, third and three, third and four, third and five, as long as they can get these manageable situations. I think the big down for the Rams is second down. 
on, on this. That's what it is. They have to get make it manageable for Goff if they do have to pass it, and then they have to get themselves running range and do what San Fran did did to him last year in the NFC Championship game. They just got all these manageable rundowns or, or passing downs, so third downs and second and longs, and they got good plays on second down. They made it manageable on third down, and they ran the ball. They succeeded. I mean, they kept, they kept they running on third the down. I think and that's exactly the move. And they kept doing. And I think that's what the Rams are going to try and do. Uh, and guess what? It's the same offense, <laughs> you know, same scheme. So it's good tape for them to watch. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, let's move on. Bills-Ravens, incredibly fun game. And I think that, you know, the first thing that jumps out to me here is going back to watch the Dolphins and the Cardinals games, which I did earlier today. What do the Bills do against man-heavy defense? And the answer is they shred it up. <laughs> I mean, they have been so good against the man this year. And that's not an accident because they have the receiving talent to beat man coverage. They have a quarterback that can beat you with his legs against man coverage. And they do so many things well to put their guys in good spots in man coverage. So many stacks, so many motions. Watching the Bills play against the Cardinals and the Dolphins and watching the Bucks play against the Saints, you could not have two more disparate game plans against heavy man coverage good and bad the bills is like exactly <laughs> what you'd want to do the bus the bucks which we'll get to is exactly what you wouldn't want to do so this is fascinating because mm-hmm. you have in my opinion the, the ravens have not gone against a team with this sort of three wide receiver talent that the bills have this year we'll see how healthy beasley is even if you go back to something like the chiefs game you know it's hill and kelsey you know three receivers and having Jimmy Smith have to cover somebody that can really play. And I'll be curious what they do with that. How often does Jimmy Smith end up on Diggs outside versus Humphrey on Beasley inside? Because I think Diggs against Smith is a mismatch. Because And even Diggs against Humphrey oh, yeah. is a different consideration than Diggs against A.J. Brown. Humphrey actually, I think, matches up better with Diggs than he does with yes. Brown because he's so based on movement skills. So I think all of that back and forth with how do the Bills help their guys out in man? How do the Ravens corners match up with those guys in man? That, to me, is the number one question about this game. And with those three corners or or – they just love to live in man coverage. They blitz a lot and they run man coverage. Everyone knows what they want to run. And the thing is they have the the horses to run it. Yes, and they not do. a lot. Most teams just have the one corner. Last week against the Titans, Corey Davis goes down. And so Marcus Peters just got the free roam. He's not worried about anybody else. He's just he can just <laughs> and he played a great game for a reason because he could just go, Oh, I'm not an AJ Brown. All right, let's free roam, read the eyes, let's bounce on stuff. Let's and he's able to do that. Uh it's so funny. My first note was Ravens play man coverage versus a team that loves to shred man coverage. Yeah. <laughs> last the last time these teams played, Martindale blitzed them three quarters of the time, 70 something 70% of the time. The last two times. Uh, and Allen got Josh Allen got sacked five times on those blitzes, just off the blitzes. And the Bills O line is playing phenomenal right now, playing very unbelievable. Very well. Passing games off left and right. They every time the Colts blitz, they were just like, okay, fine. We just passed it off like it was nothing. Allen got to sit back there. He didn't have to make 
the crazy plays when he did have to, it was just because he wanted to. It wasn't because of pressure forcing him out of the pocket. And I was just, I'm just so curious if the Ravens decide to just live in that world. And against the Chiefs early in the season, the Ravens blinked and they started running too high and they started running zone. And I, I'm curious if the Bills shred them first quarter, first quarter and a half, if they get two touchdowns, maybe a couple good drives and they beat them with these man count sets. Cause we've seen, we've talked about Dable just will run anything. He doesn't care. It's not like he's like, no, I, this is my play. He's going to, he's willing to beat you with good plays and they have, they have the guys that can do it. I, 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 I just want to see that because the defense, that'd be hard for a defense coordinator to just go, all right, we just gave up three bombs. You know, know. Like we just, we just gave up another yak to a guy like for 20 yards and we, all right, here we go. Let's dial another blitz. And it's how much confidence you have them. They're playing outstanding right now, but they played a team that they didn't have to worry about beating them in man. They also Ravens defense did an outstanding job um, against Derrick Henry rewatching it so much more uh, prevalent or, or you can see it a little bit more was how well they just set the edge and just not yes. let it go. Any, not, they didn't let anything bounce ever. They were just like, Nope, we're not letting Derrick Henry beat us outside. And Henry's so big that with his long strides, it's hard for him to stop and plant and get North. And he was missing all these cutback lanes so that they had a game plan for it. They obviously, everybody was playing how they were playing and hitting these, hitting the edges and stuff like that. It was like, okay, they knew what they were trying to do. And also they, I mean, the front seven played well. They also, some of these rookies were stepping up like Malik Harrison, yep. Justin, and I'm going to butcher his name. I call him Mama Duke, uh, Mama Duke, Mama, <laughs> Justin, Mama Duke. <laughs> uh, but he's, Played he was phenomenal awesome. and McPhee was great phenomenal. too. He was knocking people around and McPhee, Judon, they're busting up the tight ends and stuff, but that's good when you're facing a team that runs in 12. And that's exactly right. Are fine. They're Bills spreading are fine it out. Going in 10 and spreading it out. They're spreading it so out. That's the problem. All those, all those guys that you have Judon's a Sam, but he likes to be on the ball. Are you going to trust him in space? Are you going to, it's, that's a hard match. They're a bad matchup. What you want to do. They're a bad yeah. matchup for them. They really are. And also I think the screen game is going to be really important in this game. When you've seen them play against teams that are heavy pressure teams that play in man, they'll burn you on a screen. They set up their screen game extremely well. And I also think that against a heavy blitzing team, one of uh, Dable's former players told me this recently. When he was talking about some of the strengths he has as an offensive coordinator. And he said the number one thing he can do for you that other offensive coaches can't is how prepared they get you in protections. He has essentially every week he'll build a menu of whatever sorts of pressure looks they're probably going to get. And it's based on tendencies and down and distance and everything else. Usually you have like low level coaches doing this <laughs> it, it like and charting all this shit. He does it. And yep. the guy that I talked to about this said, it's like 65% right. The And when you can limit what guys think could possibly come Based on that amount of preparation, you give your guys a consistent advantage. Why do you think the Bills' offense is so good at picking up blitzes in games? It's not because, because their offensive linemen are just preternaturally talented at yeah. doing it. That just yeah. happens to be a strength of how they prepare. So again, I think it's a tough matchup for them. On the other side of the ball, I went back and I rewatched the 2019 game last week because I didn't think the Bills' offense without Diggs was really – I didn't really think we could glean a lot. I also think they just look so much different now. But the Ravens' offense, even if – and that's one of the things I want to mention. The tight ends were a huge part of their game plan last time they played against them. Huge uh, play to Hurst. Boyle scored a touchdown. Different consideration with this iteration of the Ravens offense. But the run game and the quarterback run game, obviously still a huge part of what the Ravens did. Bills, not like something we saw with the Titans last week. You got three-man fronts and you're doing wonky stuff. 
the Bills mm-hmm. actually lined up a ton in their base defense with three linebackers on the field. Now, no Alexander. He's obviously retired. Your personnel's a little bit different. Do the Bills feel comfortable fighting left-handed, putting three linebackers out there, not playing a nickel like they traditionally do? So I'll be curious to see how they even line up against this Ravens team because I think it'll probably be different than what we saw the last time these two teams played. Yeah, and you know McDermott is so traditional uh, yes. in his in the stuff that he runs, and I think he's a coach for good reason because he's proven that he can do it. He's just he's going to teach it with everyone's sound, and we're going to make you work for it, and we'll tip a ball and create a create an interception or a turnover or something. And last week, the Colts started spamming smash. Um, the Bills linebackers had a lot of issues passing stuff off, like if they were in zone and in man coverage, the uh, the nickel was getting caught. And I'm curious, you know, what do the Ravens like to run? They'll run a lot of crosser over high lows over the middle of the field. So that's the same kind of it's mesh without the other crosser coming, (laughs) you know? So it's, I'm curious, is that the Ravens are only going to run like five pass concepts. So it's not like that's the big part of the game, but it's, I want to see if they run this RPO stuff that they hit up in the second half, because that's what worked for them. It was hitting those flats and taking the easy ones rather than just trying to do some game plan play with just Lamar. How do you think that aligns with the amount of zone and quarters that the bills play? Cause I was thinking that same thing and I don't know enough about football to kind of envision that in my mind. So that RPO type of approach where you're attacking the perimeter, how does that specifically go after a zone heavy team like the bills are? It's because, okay, so in man coverage, say somebody is guarding the tight end, or last week it was it was Ricard in the flat a couple times, and and whoever's guarding him, if it's a linebacker, uh, the safety, whatever, they're man coverage. Okay, if he runs to the flat, what is the defender going to do? He's going to run with the guy to the flat. If it's zone, so it's covered, you know. If it's zone, okay, the guy that might be, you know, curl flat player in the coverage also has his run gap, and you it's flash and run. run at him. He has to play the run and he has to hesitate just that split second. And then the corner on the outside who's in quarters is bailing with a, if there's a receiver out there. So it's just, it's that voided space that you're just attacking and you can still run RPOs versus man. I mean, like you can run slants and do, you know, do what you want to do against it. I'm just saying what the Ravens have run. That's why, um, you know, man coverage might not be as great for those. Well, RPO that's why looks, they were struggling then, early in the season because last yeah. year teams were so afraid to play man against Lamar. They were playing yes. as well you should be, right? As well as yes, exactly. But teams this year were essentially saying, fuck it. We'll let you get a couple scrambles here. We're not going to let you dice us up in these simple coverages. And the Ravens do not have the receiving talent to beat man consistently based on ability. So that's where yep. you saw some of those struggles earlier in the season. So now, if you're the Bills, do you say, we're a quarters team. That's what we're going to do. You, I would dare you to beat us. Or are you going to say, we think our corners and our defensive backs are better than your guys. We're going to play more man than we typically do. I think that's something that I'm going to be curious about. And like Hollywood Brown had a nice week last week, uh, but he was going against Dory Jackson, who weighs you know probably the same weight as he does. <laughs> if they ran, you know, so not very physical, smaller, athletic guy. Trey White will knock him on his ass. Good. Good luck against Davis White, yeah. who's going to just manhandle him and push him out of bounds and not even let him gain any speed. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, and I know. No, that's it's a great – again, that's that's what's so cool about the playoffs is you'll see the – it's the Rocky punching uh, – you know, Rocky switching it up. It's 
let's change it up. Let's hit it with the other hand. Like, and that's what teams can do. And if it doesn't work, okay, let's just go back to what we do, Ron. Um, but that's why a lot of coaches will have on their game plans. They'll be like, they'll have a just in case box. Okay, maybe this team's running a lot of two man against us. Okay, we have five plays that we like it. It's two man, just a just in case. And you brought the point about Dable and you know going over the pressures and it's like right sixty five percent of the time. That's what game planning is. Is it's a, you're making bets and all this research that you do, all this opponent scouting, all this self scouting tendencies. You're just you're just betting. It, it's am I betting on? the eight going to come or am I betting on snake eyes coming? Am I betting on, you know, am I betting on a seven coming or, you know, don't pass and craps, you know, or passing crafts, something like that. It's, that's what you're doing. And good coaches are like, Hey, this is what happens 70% of the time. Yeah. They might catch us, but sometimes we'll have a kill play. Sometimes we'll have a get out of jail free card, like with, with a throw. Sometimes we'll just burn a timeout. Um, but that's what, and when you're looking at tendencies, you're hoping for the hundred percenters or the 90 percenters. Cause you're like, Man, there's 18 plays when we they run this formation against that on this down and distance. 18 plays, 15 of them they ran this coverage. Okay, we know what we we know where we're it's getting. It's all here. about limiting that's the what, possibilities. It's all that's what that's it's all what about. It is. You're just go. Otherwise, you just drive yourself crazy. Looking at football is not looking. It's it's more of a macro sense than a micro sense. And I think it helps. It helps me. I know this is you got to group things into buckets. And whether it be coverages, that's why I'll say too high a lot, or I'll just say single high a lot. That's. Uh, pressure coverage. Yeah. There's 15 different versions of them, but you could picture what I'm talking about. That's why to run game, there's only a certain amount of runs rather than just going like, well, this one's a little different. This one's a little different. This guy's going to a different spot. It's like, no, you just have to bucket them. And that, and even with pass concepts too. Yeah. One route might be different, but there's five routes. There's infinite possibilities. If you bucket them, it just helps you learn the game and look at the game a little better. Cause then, yeah, there might be a little differences. Oh, I saw Shanahan run it like this. It's like, yeah, it's the same stuff though. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what you have to get at with, with the stuff. And that's what good coaches do is they limit, they know how to present that to players and then the players can take a run with it literally and figuratively. All right, let's get to our next one here. First game on Sunday, Chiefs Browns. I don't want to be overly simplistic here, but what I'm thinking about this game, obviously the weakness of this Chiefs team is the run defense. It, it's It's been like that. They are a team yeah. built to play with lead. They are a yeah. pass-rushing, speed, aggressive team. The, the Browns, I promise you know this. I think they understand <laughs> that their best route here is to line up, knock you around, and then take our haymaker play-action shots. And that seems simple. But I absolutely think that is their best path forward here because not only is the run defense for the Chiefs poor and that you could probably get some gashes on the ground. Lindsay and I talked about their offensive line getting back healthy. This is going to be a full stable of guys. I also think that their aggressiveness and the amount of man coverage they tend to play, you can hit them on some of these wrinkles off the boot concepts. Some of the double moves we've seen, whether it's the post corner, the stuff that's really similar is prevalent within the Shanahan Kubiak offense where you have that crosser going back things like that they need to run the ball here and set up their haymaker punches that's exactly what their plan needs to be offensively in my opinion yeah essentially it comes down they have to have, like you just said have to have a great game script for them to do what they want to do and I mean the run game is awesome it's it's so cool watching the different types of run concepts that they hit so no matter what front Kansas City is in they're going to have something for it Bill Callahan it's going to be fine (laughs) you saw a lot of power and pulls last week because the Steelers have those outside linebackers that play so wide so you're taking advantage of that I don't know if we'll see that as many of those considering the way the Chiefs line up but you're right they're going to have answers 
it's it's angles angles and numbers and the angles on those if the guys want to line up wide okay let's just kick them out rather than try to reach them outside okay we'll kick them out so that's why you saw trap that's why you saw power and you know they're not gonna be able to win with baker continuously dropping back but we all know that but their gorgeous run game and the shot plays they have to take advantage of the chiefs are that full court press basketball team they are trying to just Loyal Marymount, just trying to just generate boom, boom, boom. Just, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's a 17-point run out of nowhere. They want to play fast. Turnovers and create chaos, 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 chaos. That's what their whole team is. And when you take a shot play like that, if they have the game script in their favor and they time this up right, this is all if, 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 if. But Tyron Matthew is a very aggressive guy. He might go for like an over route. That's a, he might take the cheese. You know, he might go, oh, they're trying to get something safe here. I'm going to take it. And they might hit a post over the top. We have seen Stefanski has a great feel for when to dial these up. Uh, it's just, it's the other side of the ball. I'm more worried, <laughs> more worried about the, <laughs> with that so matchup, but I, I'm, the Browns can run the ball. So, and the chiefs are weak against the run. They just have to have a game script in their favor for this to work. I totally them. agree. And I think that it's all about making sure you can hit a couple of those shot plays. You set them yes. up, you set them up, you set them up low, 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 four runs in a row, five runs in a row. Um, this is one of those games. Three yard run is fine. Uh, I, yeah. and that's, it's, I think that we too often are like, you know, first down run for two yards. What are you doing? Set it up, set it up, play slow. I don't, there are times where I think the Raiders, for example, in my opinion, the Raiders best chance against a team like the chiefs is you trade punches with them. You stand up and you go punch for punch. And that's what the game you try to play. The Browns aren't built like that. I absolutely Mm -hmm. think they have to try to squeeze the air out of this game in a way that plays to their strengths. Now the question is, do they need 40 to win based on what Kansas City can possibly do against their defense? And so if you're thinking, and it's one of those things we talked about last week at the Bears and the Saints, is there anywhere on that side of the ball that you think the Browns have the advantage? I think that they could potentially turn the heat up on Mahomes in the pocket with their front four. I think that is one yeah. area where they have a slight advantage over where over the current construction of this Chiefs team. They can generate. That's that. There's no answer to the Chiefs to stop their defense, but the best way to do it is generating a rush with your front four. And they have Miles Garrett. And there's only so many times you can chip them if they aren't getting explosives. The last week the Browns were willing to run cover two on first down. They're they're willing to do it. So are they going to do that the whole game against the Chiefs? Are and generate something with Miles Garrett? I think I think Mahomes and Reed are fine with that. You know. That's the only way you're going to slow this team down. It, it, I just don't think they have the horses for it. it I mean, they're 25th in defensive DVOA, 25th of against the pass. Uh, they're fairly basic by necessity, uh, just who they have. Um, spot draft stuff, there's easy, easy indicators for Mahomes to work with, but they always do stuff anyways that give them those indicators. Um, but the, the fact that they're willing to run a spot drop, like a cover two or a cover three on, on first and second down, I think they're just going to continue to do that with against Mahomes. I agree. That's why actually CEH being healthy is huge because being a really good football team, it's not, I'm going to mix up like two analogies here. Like one was more of like a newer one, one's an older one, but it's the thing about being a good team is you have the ability to, to pivot. And that's also when people say we found a way to win and being a good team is a super bowl teams usually just have that ability to pivot. Hey, the run, the pass game's not working. We, uh, yeah, we blitz teams with the pass, but we can run efficiently at when we need to. And the best offense is, yeah, we don't expect them to be pounding the ball all the time, but if you have that tool in your toolkit, like CH is healthy. There's a reason they drafted this guy. There's going to be reasons they want to give him the touches. 
it's going to be a good thing, especially in the playoffs. So if the if the Browns are willing to sit back and cover two over and over and over, I bet you we see a lot of Mahomes RPOs, like the little the little stick zone read that they like to run. We'll see a lot of CEH six seven yard gains, and all of a sudden when the Browns get antsy, here comes Mahomes, and I think that's just what's going to happen. And even against cover two, that's where you see Kelsey work. That's where you see the scramble drill happen. That's you know even if they go the one by three stuff where Kelsey's the guy on the backside against cover two. You still have Tyreek Hill against a linebacker. <laughs> so if they put him at three, speed at three. So it, it's pick your poison against them. They just have to generate turnovers like they did last week. But we, we all know this. It's not like we're shining anything new against the, the Browns and the Chiefs. It's But this is just the emphasis, especially for this game. I think that to be considered, obviously not the talent level. is not nearly the same. But Joe Woods was the secondary coach and pass game coordinator for that Niners defense last year against Mahomes in the Super Bowl that did a very good job against them. And I know it's not the same talent level, but you have a decent yeah. front four and you have their, their corners getting back. Denzel Ward playing in this game is a big, big deal. Ronnie Harrison yes, being is. healthy in ways that he wasn't for a lot of the season. This is a different just construction defensively for the Browns than they've had for a good chunk of the year. I still think they're outmanned. But in my opinion, they're better positioned to slow this Chiefs team down than they would have been six weeks ago. So I think that's something to think about. And in my opinion, you're playing cover two all day. You're making them beat you with eight-yard throws. I mean, I know yep. that's simple and to just, say, but you just have to be patient. You have to be disciplined. You have to be willing to allow those plays to happen and not get antsy. And I, it's that's just it, something they have to be pounding into them all week. I'm making the fighter analogy again, but it's it's the submission guy that has to take his punches so he can take the guy down. It's yep. the wrestler. He that's what he wants to do. He's a wrestler. The Browns are a wrestler that wants to take you down to the ground, slow the fight down, make it a full five round fight. I'm going MMA here, <laughs> five round fight, and take it to the cards and win by points. That's what the Browns want to do. They want to win by points, not literally 40 points, but I'm saying points by the judge's scorecard. Uh, Chiefs meanwhile want to knock you out in the first 30 seconds and then they're going to just keep doing that over and over and over so it's it's will are the Browns going to stay away not let them get those haymaker shots in them but the thing is if they run cover two why teams will run cover two is you're saying that the the quarterback doesn't have the ball sometimes to make some of those hero throws who who makes the most hero throws is Mahomes he's willing to hit the digs the the 18 yard digs and he's willing to hit the whole shots so I'm, I'm we might see a couple of those too but I think that's you have to play into that nature. I think that's yeah. big. Is is this for the same reasons that the Browns can't get antsy? You have to hope he gets antsy. You have to hope yeah. that he's willing to get bored with taking that and taking just those small gains. And he wants and he that big play. Bored. And he holds yeah. the ball. And that's where Garrett becomes a huge part of this game. I yes. think. Yes. You, I think on that side of the ball, it's going to be who blinks first. That's going to be the most yeah. important thing when it comes to how that thing unfolds. All right. Let's get to a game that I cannot believe is happening in 2021. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, 40-year-old quarterbacks. A game we've seen twice already this year. I went back and I watched that second game today. What a fucking nightmare by the Bucs. <laughs> like, like, sometimes oh when you have a game like that, like, for example, the Browns game last week against the Steelers, it's turnovers. Yeah. It's bounces of the ball. The Bucs just got their asses kicked. It was... A, night, a nightmarish game plan yeah. on both sides of the ball. And I think that is part of the problem here. The Saints are a terrible matchup for this Buccaneers team. I think the Bucs could win the Super Bowl if they, if they had the right teams in front of them. I think the Saints are possibly the worst matchup for them. Because if you look at on the, with the Bucs having the ball on offense, right? 
you know what the Saints are going to do? They're going to play two-man. They're going to be like, our guys are better than your guys. And that's the problem, is that's the Bucks' offensive strategy for the most part. Their approach here is, our guys are better than your guys. In the Saints' case, they ain't. Your guys are not better than your their guys. If you're having Chris Godwin on CGJ, he can cover him in man. And if you're going to sit out there in those spread out formations and you're going to say, we can beat you in man coverage because we're more talented, you're going to lose against this team. But that's what we've seen with the Bucks over the last six weeks or so, right? They haven't mm-hmm. been doing that. So in my, this is, again, maybe overly simplistic. I think this is going to be a question of how many ways can the Buccaneers find to help out their guys against tight man coverage? How many bits of motion do we see? How many stacks do we see? How many things do they fold in like that touchdown to Godwin we saw last week to say, all right, usually our guys are good enough. This week we're going to give them a little bit of help. I think that's going to be the biggest consideration when the Buccaneers have the ball. And two-man is actually – especially neither of these quarterbacks can scramble. That's, so the, that, I was all, that's one of the things I might, missed because you can do you, that against you, Brady because he can't hurt you. Yes, you well, and the Bucks are, might do it too. They ran two man last week against against Washington. So I'm, we might see more two man in this game <laughs> than we've seen the last time. The most two man I've probably ever seen is when the Patriots and Ravens played each other uh, in the playoffs, uh, the Flacco year. I, I think it was that year. But oh my God, the Ravens ran two man the entire second half of that game because they're just like Brady ain't scrambling, and you got nobody that can beat us on the outside. And I'm, I'm, it's it's two man. It could be a pain in the ass because it's. Only how it works is the defenders, it sounds like it is, there's two high guys and everyone else is man, but how they play man is all trail technique is what uh, defensive guys will call it. And it sounds like what it is. It's you're playing on the inside hip of the guy and you're trying, why that is just close your eyes and think of uh, how physics work. (laughs) It's, it's angles. So if the guy's on your inside hip and then you got help over the top and outside, that's a hard ass throw you have to make. So the usual two man beaters are a lot of sale concepts where you have an inside guy breaking out or. Um, someone from the inside, almost like a double move, kind of like fading and running a bender, kind of like leaning outside, running a bender. Cause you're getting the hip guy to soften. And I'm walking away from the mic as I'm, I'm you, I wish people, could <laughs> I wish people could this. see Robert, how you're just like sliding around Robert, in your chair right now. Sliding back and forth. Robert, Robert's getting a great show right now, but <laughs> I just realized I was like five feet from the mic. Um, but you know, what's also interesting about this game is both defenses are there one and two in run defense by DVOA. Yeah. Like it's. And, and, but the Saints run game is phenomenal. They have the number one offensive rushing DVOA. That's going to be a fun matchup, too. Totally. And that side of the ball. But yeah, that's what, that's what the Saints are going to run. They're going to run some pressure stuff, but the Bucks O line's great. Uh, uh, the left tackle, Donovan Smith, you know, he, he's okay. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm curious. I want to see if the Saints attack him. Do we see Gronkowski sitting there next to him in the ways that we've seen over the last month or so? Because that's another thing is the Saints were able to heat up the pocket against Brady. Marpet did not play in that game. So I think getting him back is a big consideration. But also there were some plays in that game where Cam Jordan got the most of the worfs. And that hasn't happened much this year. So that's the thing. It's just one of those games where the advantages the Bucs typically have, they just don't have against the Saints defense. So yeah, it's not many teams can. Yeah, no, that's a great way. Cause and even though, even in the run game, the Bucks run game is blah. Uh, like Fournette had probably his best game as a buck last week. And it, but it's like, it's still just whatever they did actually did some Tennessee breakers by the way, which was interesting to see. It's, uh, I wonder if they, they knew that they, I'm, I'm sure they did. They knew that they were setting anything up, but they were on so much more zone and split zone and stuff like that, as opposed to their usual duo. So, you know, curious if, curious if some of the, more of those tweaks come in, um, on the, on the other, uh, this is a stat I came across today, by the way. 
So Brady and Breeze have the same pocket time this year, according to Pro Football Reference, 2.4 seconds in the pocket. That's their average. They have a 3.1-yard difference in depth of target. Brady is first in the league at 9.1 yards. That Breeze should be unfair. 34th, 34th in the league at six yards. That's how fast Brady is hitting these deep concepts. Yeah. Like, that's how quick he's hitting. I mean, it's plant the foot, and there's not even a hitch. It's plant, whip it. He knows exactly what he's getting. But we're going to have to see it against two-man because two-man can make you start pumping it. And if that Saints, start, Saints rush starts getting there, they play that, that so aggressively. I mean, they just play yeah. so physical in your face, and it really does align with their personnel. On the other side of the ball, before we get out of here, we are going to see, in my opinion, a drastically different game plan from the Bucs than we saw the last two times these two teams played. They played all spot drop zone, and the Saints are just going to tear you apart. And yeah. so I tweeted at Steven Ruiz today. He has that joke where he has Kyle Shanahan with the microscope where he's like, microscope. all right, this is yeah. the guy I'm taking advantage of. That was Sean Payton with Devin White the last time, that last time these two teams played. They were playing all spot drop zone, and essentially he was trying to get Devin White manned up against a single guy as often as possible. I'm not talking like a player two or three. I'm talking like 10 times. That was their exact game plan offensively. The Adam Troutman touchdown is the best example. He ran a little shake route for a score, but it was beyond that. They were high-lowing him left and right. If I'm the Bucks in this game, I'm pressuring. because It's counterintuitive because Breeze is so good against the Blitz. He averaged 8.2 yards per attempt against the Blitz this season. Teams blitzed him on like 23% of dropbacks. Teams don't blitz Breeze for good reason, right? Good reason. Yeah. But I think... That's when he can, you know, hit guys on replaces and things like that. I think if you're playing tight man coverage and you're bringing five man pressures, even if it doesn't seem on its face like the way to go after Drew Brees, I think against a team where you're not afraid of their receiving talent beating you in space and taking advantage of your corners, and I don't think you should be with the Saints. I think that's the way you should play. Like Kamara's going to have advantages, but I still think getting Devin White out of coverage, creating five man pressure looks. I think that's their best chance in this game. I really do. And that's what Bulls Bulls is. He's the offensive version of, or defensive version of Arians. Yes, he's gonna run his. He's gonna run his shit. It's it, it for better or for worse. It's the same stuff he ran in Arizona. Same exact stuff he ran with the Jets. Same exact stuff now. Just a couple more tweaks. A lot more single dog linebacker blitzes. Uh, he loves the strong safety single blitz off the edge, and he has a great guy to do it, Antoine Winfield Jr. But, but that's the type he, of shit if, I wouldn't if, do. That I think no. is one step too far. I think safe, that's what, safe blitzing, for lack of a better term. That's what. But that's the thing is, a lot of these blitzes, he doesn't just run man defense with it. He'll run old school voided fire zone yep. or pressure. So we would call it like a three void or a two void because he does it single high and two high. What they're saying is the blitz will get home, and we're going to overload the hot side or, or guess where you're going to try and throw hot and make the quarterback double clutch, and we'll get home. Someone will get home by that point. Breeze can slice that shit up. <laughs> so I, I, it's a, again, it's another who's going to blink. Is it, are they willing? And it's funny with defensive coordinators. It's something you look for in tendencies. We'll talk about tendencies real quick. Again, if the saints are marching the ball, even though the bucks have that phenomenal run defense, if they are marching the ball in the run game and they are hitting stuff underneath and breeze is hitting voided coverages, Todd Bowles is what we like to call an emotional blitzer. Uh, there's a lot of defensive coordinators out there. They get hit with an explosive play. They get hit with a couple first downs. They get hit. The fir first play gets hit into the, the plus 30 inside the 30 yard line. Here comes some heat. And so I, uh, Sean Payton is one of those coaches that I trust. He knows that too. <laughs> so he's going to be, I think there might be a couple times where they hit a gash play and then guess what? Here comes a screen. 
or something, you know, Kamara just waltzing in the end zone at like the 28 yard line. Like, yeah, I could picture that happening because that's, that's what he likes to do. And I think Bowles is going to make him, he's going to just keep doing what he's going to do. He's going to bet that some of them are going to get home. Breeze will miss a couple throws and they hope hold on their hats in the run game. I, I think that's what their game plan is. And probably Saints are probably going to hit a few slants to Michael Thomas. And I think Kamara is going to get some work in the pass game because if they run some five-man protections to get Kamara out, it gets a pressure. It might be catching stuff in the flat or like an angle or something like that. Again, it's playoffs are awesome. I just love the matchups. It's, it's like fantastic. It's, just, it's it's the fantastic. It really is. All right, I think that's all we got. We, I think that's I think that's deep enough on all these games. I think we we could go for another yeah. hour, but I don't think anyone's going to. I think, gonna I think we it. are used to the ba- the basketball playoff schedule with a hundred teams going on each side and me and you hour three, just staring at each other. Like, okay, who are we talking about now? <laughs> it's a great, great lineup. Great slate. Cannot wait for it. Excited to be at Lambeau. I've seen a lot of playoff football games at Lambeau field. Weirdly enough, I was at that game against the Seahawks last year. I was at the giants Hail Mary game the year that they made, oh, wow. that they made the playoffs. I weirdly, I mean, obviously it's close. So that's why I'm there as often as I am, but Always good to see some playoff football in the Midwest, awesome. in the snow, it's in the cold. It's it is going to be a cathedral. It's I'm very much it's, looking forward to it. So, all right, yeah, that's everybody, awesome. thank you so much for listening. Sincerely appreciate it. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate that. Please subscribe to the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash/football show. Our three ninety nine a month deal is still going. I have stories running hopefully Thursday and Friday. So if you'd like to read those, you need to subscribe to The Athletic. I would suggest that you do. Sheil and Ted are doing really cool uh, X's and O's slash analytics breakdowns. The Packers Rams one ran today. Could not recommend it anymore. I think you'll learn a ton. So please check that out. We'll be back on Sunday night. I think with a little bit of a wrinkle. I don't want to say it because I might get screwed up in the meantime but I think we're going to be bringing a little something different to you on Sunday night so please come back and check that out really appreciate you guys listening we'll talk to you later this was the athletic football show